0: You can always catch up on Mike's teaching on our website at org. We're currently going through the book of Luke in a series titled, The Uncommon Gospel. So grab your Bible, turn up the volume, and follow along with us. Here's Pastor Mike.
1: Luke chapter 1, verse 26. That's where we're at this morning, as we're just going through the Gospel of Luke. I'm excited to be going through the Gospel of Luke. Verse 26, this is now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And of course, Nazareth is a small village in the north of the Galilee region, not in the north it was actually south of the Galilee Sea, but it was in the north area where Galilee is. And Galilee was kind of there was a lot of military up there, there was a lot of prostitution and and kind of a lower education amongst the people. Nazareth was not really a hub for anything. In fact, they had one small well that didn't produce a lot of water. They were 15 miles from the Sea of Galilee, so they didn't really have a fishing industry there very easily. Kind of in the hill country, and honestly, no roads going into Nazareth. Just trails. No roads. You can imagine, the closest road was six miles away. And so, the people that lived in Nazareth were people that kind of had the heart to to be off the beaten path, right? Right? Maybe like some of the people who like to be a little bit away, like out in Swede or Ola or something like that. Nobody's—it's not on the way to anything, you know. And that's kind of what Nazareth was like: this small village, but known actually for its low moral quality. In fact, in Nazareth was considered a town where people drank too much and people caroused too much. And so here, this woman, and she's you know a, a good good girl. She's not like the, a lot of the people around her. But she, she, she grows up in this city, this small town, actually, of Nazareth. And it would be so debased in a way that when Nathaniel heard that Jesus of Nazareth was the one who was the Messiah, he would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, that was kind of the reputation that they had. And it says here that Gabriel comes to her. Gabriel, not, not going to some important place like Jerusalem, but he comes to this very small, secluded place, and an angel the angel Gabriel, of course, is the angel who we saw in the book of Daniel, the angel who appeared to Daniel and interpreted his visions, the angel who came and laid out the timeline for Israel in Daniel chapter nine. so this is a very important israel or very important angel when it comes to his influence on the future of the nation of Israel. He's a very important angel when it comes to the Messiah coming. He prophesied the Messiah's coming in Daniel chapter 9 when he says from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem till the Messiah, the prince, shall be. And he basically lays out a timeline of 483 years. And of course that happened in the time of Nehemiah under Artaxerxes Longimanus, and then brings us forward until Jesus would ride into Jerusalem in 8033 April 6th. Then Sir Robert and Anderson wrote a great book on that called The Coming Prince. And so Gabriel, important angel, he comes to Nazareth. And then it says, he comes in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So this is Mary, a young virgin girl. Now, typically, we know from history that most young women were betrothed to men and married usually in their teens, mid-teens. So it's very likely that Mary was anywhere from 14 to 18 years old, just a young girl. And, and here she is in this city and this angel appears to her, she's, but she's betrothed to a man, it tells us here, named Joseph. Now Joseph, we don't know how old he was, but we do know that by the time Jesus started his public ministry, Joseph had died. And that becomes apparent just through a few things that we'll see as we go through the book of Luke. But Joseph was a carpenter, and, and he found this woman... That he wanted to marry, I suppose. Now, marriage wasn't the kind of the same. It wasn't really the same as it is here in America today. In, in America today, a lot of people, they see somebody they like. They might say, hey, you know, would you like to go out on a date or go get coffee or something like that? And they kind of cultivate a relationship. And then maybe after things are going well, they get engaged. And then after they get engaged, they set a date and they're married. Now, in their, their day, it was very different. In fact, a lot of times things were arranged by the parents of the children, or maybe if a man grew up and he wasn't married, then he would arrange something with the father. And kind of the idea behind that was, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to marry your daughter, and so here's what I'm proposing. And he would bring what they called a bride price or a dowry. Now, the dowry had to be something of value, you know, if it was, if it was ten cows, you know, or if it was. A, you know, a, a, a bottle or collection of very expensive spices or something like that. A lot of those things would be considered a dowry that would be used in the event that the marriage didn't work out. The man divorced the woman unlawfully or if he passed away. Then that woman could live off of the dowry. And that's kind of how that worked. Now, it, it went down kind of like this. The woman would be chosen by the father of the groom or by the, the groom, and he would come and he would present his bride price to the father, and the father would have to agree with it. The bride's father would have to agree to it. Yeah, that's, that's sufficient. Now, he wasn't buying her. You have to understand this. Remember, that dowry belonged to her ultimately. He, it was in earnest in her father's care. But what he was saying is, I'd like to pre- present this in return for all that you've spent and all that you've done to, to raise my wife. And so the, the father would approve that, and then they would bring the girl, and she would come, and maybe this is the first time she's met him, maybe she kind of grew up with this boy and maybe knew that he was the one. But what what would happen then is he would pour a glass of wine, the, the groom would, he'd pour a glass of wine, and he would take a drink of it, and he would pass it to the woman, and she would take the cup, and then she would drink it, and as soon as she drank that wine, it was a done deal. She was legally married. And she was engaged in maybe an art likeness to it, but literally that was legally binding. The contract was sealed by drinking the wine however she could, if she did not feel good about this whole thing, just dump it out. And if she dumped it out, she was saying, pack sand, I don't like you. And and so there was some choice in the matter. It wasn't (laughs) like she had to do it. Well, once she drank the wine... They would perform a mikvah on her. And, and the mikvah was used in a lot of different ceremonies in Jewish culture. Through the priests would wash through the mikvah. And basically what they would do is baptize her. So they put her down in the water. That's what mikvah means is baptism. They'd baptize her and she'd come up out of the water. The idea was she's passing from my, our family... To his family now she's going to be his bride and so she do the mikvah so she drinks the wine She does the mikvah and she starts to adorn herself to become a good bride now during this time. He's sending her he's sending her gifts like fine linen and, and Perfumes and things like that so that she can adorn herself and the idea is he's presenting her back to himself as a beautiful bride Now, you're probably starting to think of some scriptures that kind of go along with this symbolism that Jesus and Paul both use when it comes to these things. Well, what would happen, as soon as the man would give the wine to her, she drank it, he would run away to go back home, and he would begin to build a wedding chamber off of his house. And every day he'd work on it to build this wedding chamber. It was basically a place, and Joseph, of course, was probably the best wedding chamber because he was a carpenter. So he's building this wedding chamber off of his father's house, and the idea of the wedding chamber was it was the place where the wedding would take place. Now, it's not like we think of it. Basically, what would happen is once it was completed, and it was up to the father, his father, to determine if it was completed or not. Once it was completed, the father would say, Okay, about a year later, it, it, it's, it looks good enough, son. You can go get your bride. And usually he'd do that for fun in the middle of the night. And so the the groom would get up he would very excited get dressed he'd send his friend his best friend ahead of him shouting the bridegroom is coming maybe blowing a trumpet or sending some sort of signal and and as the the bride would hear that the bridegroom was coming she would trim her lamp she'd get up she'd adorn herself in her wedding dress in her wedding garment and then she would go out to meet the groom and then he would take her and they go back into the wedding chamber and all at the, this whole time, as the, as the guy's running out to announce that the bridegroom, everybody's gathering. Everybody, all the families, all the relatives, all the friends, they're all gathering around the wedding chamber. The husband and the wife go into the wedding chamber. They consummate the marriage. Aren't, we, aren't you glad we do it the way we do it instead? <laughs> it's like everybody shows up at the honeymoon and they're all outside the door. Hey, we're partying, you know. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. But this is the way they did it and this was their custom. And, and of course you see the symbolism. Of course Jesus is the one who offered his bride price the body that he offered for us. And, and that he, he would offer his blood to us. And even in the Last Supper as we celebrate communion, we, in a sense once we've received him, we accept the cup and we accept the bread. And then, of course, he sends us gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit to adorn ourselves, to make us beautiful, that we might be a chaste virgin. As Paul said, that we'd be presented back to him. And then like the five virgins and the five, or the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish, the bridegroom comes at an hour you do not expect. And speaking of the rapture of the church, and and of course, we would go out in that moment being prepared and being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is represented by the the oil and the lamp.